Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside J.J. Cooper. Hello, everybody. Here to talk about the Twins today and a system that got an infusion with the number one overall pick. Before we start, I want to say thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP. That's BASHIP to save 20% off your next order. JJ, the Twins, we've seen this young core come up, carry them to the postseason mm-hmm. last year. Young position player core, I should say. Mm-hmm. They're still short on pitching. Now they bring in number one overall pick Royce Lewis, who's the number one prospect in this system. There was very little debate about that. And then following him, we have a two through eight group that's interesting in that there's a mix of upside, a mix of, of higher developed guys. And almost they're, they're all kind of close to even in, in a way. So there's some depth as well as some star upside. I want to start with that star upside. Mm-hmm. Royce Lewis was a guy that, while was not always projected to be the number one overall pick in the draft and was a little bit of a surprise in that sense. He was always considered a a top three, top five type guy. This wasn't a guy who was, you know, nowhere near the first round and shot up at the end. And this was a draft that didn't have that one guy who you say, well, this guy clearly, we don't have those drafts very often. Like, again, I really, we haven't had one of those drafts to go back. We haven't had that draft since Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper. Royce Lewis was always considered... Garrett Cole kind of. T- no. But, I mean, Garrett Cole, I thought that year, like, he was. But you got to remember, he didn't have a dominant year that year. So there were enough warts there. Like, he came into the year, I would say, is like, okay, he definitely is in the pole position. And he ended up number one, so, I mean, credit to him. But, no, I, I think with Royce Lewis, what you looked at was a guy who has been one of the best players in his class when he was 14, when he was 15, when he was 16, when he was 17. And he... Fits very well as a number one pick. But the other thing, we've both seen it, that stands out with Royce Lewis is, and you don't want to make too much of this because the reality of it is, is great makeup, great personality, leadership type personality doesn't really matter unless you perform. I mean, that's, you know, hopefully that helps you a little bit. But the reality of it is, is that you can have the best makeup in the world. And if you don't perform, it's not going to end in the in run mean anything. But when you're around, I remember talking to Carlos Correa when he was 18. And you talk for him for a little while, and it just jumps out. This guy is way mature beyond his years. You see that with guys. Absolutely. Royce is a guy who's always been known as one of those guys, uh, personality-wise. But it's beyond just, oh, this is how he interviews. This is how he talks to his teammates or his coaches. It's in the game, on the field. And what's been most interesting to me to hear people talk about, and Correa's come up a few times, is you know Correa obviously was prolific tools, prolific skills, but he also was a guy that was always focused at the plate on the field, never gave away at bats. 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds do that pretty frequently throughout the levels of the minors, and the guys who don't separate themselves pretty quickly. You hear all the same things about Royce Lewis, a guy that you know normal 18-year-olds, long season, 
the effort might not always be there, you know, the approach is not always consistent. You know, the, the concept of, hey, this kid's a professional at 18. I, you know, Royce is a guy who you hear that about, and in a lot of cases you haven't heard that for four or five years since Carlos Correa. Right. Again, he, he went to FanFest and for the Twins and was right at ease, which, again, a lot of 18-year-olds, that's not something that they're going to be comfortable. A lot, you know, a lot of teenagers, that's something where they're going to need time to grow into that role. Royce Lewis is comfortable in that role right now. Again, all of that is a nice underpinning behind the fact that Royce Lewis can really hit. There's athleticism. There's the tools to be an impact player. And that, when it's all said and done, that's going to be the more important part of this. But when you have that, I would say Correa's a guy who had it. Alex Bregman, it's a different way, but Alex Bregman has kind of a, uh, I'm going to run through a wall type mentality. You know, there's different way, ways of his personality. But, but Royce Lewis is a guy who, if he makes it up in Minnesota, he will from day one step in and you will say, the big leagues is not too big for him. Regarding the tools, because mm-hmm. again, you've talked about, you know, he's a great guy, but the tools are prolific as well. What's been key for him, look, even throughout his senior year, so he came in this year considered a top three potential pick. His mm-hmm. senior year, every scout you talk to, we're throwing sixes and sevens on his speed, on his arm, mm-hmm. on his glove as a center fielder. As a shortstop, he got better, but still most saw him as a center fielder. But you saw you know, a lot of 60s and 70s, which are premier elite grades. Mm-hmm. Hitting-wise, he got off to this really bad start. And what a lot of evaluators talked about was they saw a guy who was constantly tinkering, constantly looking not quite comfortable, constantly trying to find himself. And then at the Boris Classic, one of his final at-bats there, you saw him hit a big home run. And from then on, he took off. So it took six weeks for him to get going. And I remember a couple of evaluators at that time were saying, you know, we, look, we, especially the Southern California area scouts, hey, we've known this kid for years. We love this kid. But there was some hesitation. They say, you know, the top guys, you don't see struggles like this to this level, not over six weeks. And so there was a little bit of concern, but he finished so strong. And then I think what was even more important to me, you know, we talk about, a high school kid who signs his first deal, if he goes out and struggles in rookie ball, we're not going to crush him for it. But the but flip we'll side cr- is also very important. He goes out and destroys rookie ball. But beyond that, he gets promoted straight to low A. He, did, you know, he skipped app, the Appy League, went right to Cedar Rapids, hit 296, 363 on base. At the end of a, I, this was the end of his senior year of high school, goes up to low A and holds his own at the plate, which, you know, beyond just all the positive things, right. that's a. That's performance, and it's huge. And to me, that even elevated Royce Lewis a little more, and it really puts to rest some of those late rising concerns about his ultimate hit ability. The, the thing that also stands out with me on that, and I'm going to kind of segue it to this, of if you're a Twins fan, one of the things that was very encouraging is you want to talk about your draft class, which, by the way, has a chance to be an exceptional draft class because, again, it doesn't hurt when you have the number one pick. Right. should help. But Royce Lewis goes out and does that. And you get, that's something where Royce Lewis, we, you talk about the resume of a player. Royce Lewis has already added to his resume. In a way, like you said, we're not, you don't kill Austin Beck for the A's because he went out and didn't have a great debut. You say, you know what, if he goes out, goes to the Midwest League this year and hits, that will be forgotten. Go look up Chipper Jones' stats when he was in the GC. Derek, Derek Jeter, Carlos Correa yeah. when he first signed. They're so not all great. Of the, all of that, you, all, you throw that all in there. 
That being said, you, when you when do it, go out, when perform. you do go out, you know, again, you don't overemphasize it because if if Royce Lewis goes out and doesn't hit the Midwest League this year, well, then that very quickly becomes less a part of his resume. But it's just building. But the other part about that is is that Royce Lewis did that, and then the Twins probably had the best pro debut of any draftee in the 2017 draft. Brent Rooker goes out, and to say he mashes, which, okay, he started in the Appy League. Brent Rooker should mash in the Appy League. There's no question about it. He went from playing in the SEC, and if you go from the SEC to the Appy League. And, and destroying the SEC, mm-hmm. not just being okay there, Easily not being the best solid hitter. there, crushing it. Easily the best hitter in the SEC, which, pretty good track record on that. The guy who was the best hitter in the SEC the year before that was Andrew Benintendi. He's been really good. Guy who was best hitter the year before that? Alex Bregman. It could have been. You could argue Boomer White. And, okay, so that would be as good. That has not worked as the Padres. But, if, or it's Alex Bregman. Brent Rooker goes out and hits 18 homers in a half season, which is insanity. And the thing about it is, is 11 of those came in the FSL. So what you're talking about is a guy who now goes into his first full pro season. And if they say, we're going to send you to double A, that's a reasonable expectation. Which, by the way, is the same schedule Alex Bregman was on. He finished mm-hmm. high A as draft year at Lancaster, opened the next year in Corpus Christi, and the rest is history. I, I, you know, he's. you could send him back to Fort Myers, but he hit 11 homers in 40 games there. And by the way, for those who don't know, the Florida State League is impossible to hit in. He was in the top 15 in the league in home runs, and he runs, played 40 games, he played there. 40 games there. If it, they extend the season, and, but like, he didn't do that hitting 220 either. 280, 364, 552. Altogether, you know, the, the season he had is simply insane, you know. And so, what I'm saying though is, is that the thing that stands out, and this kind of goes into when we start talking about the tier, once you get past Royce Lewis, number two on our list for the Twins top 10 is Wander Javier. One of the top international signs a few years ago was one of the top uh, prospects in the Appy League this year. Number eight is Nick Gordon. Now, at the same time, the difference, the separation of these two when it comes to where they are as far as, if you look at the grand world of prospects, is extremely minuscule. Two through eight on this list. Got the prospect handbook. Hopefully you're getting it. I know it's, you know, a lot of people got it in their hands now. We have the BA grades which basically looks at ceiling and risk. When you combine ceiling and risk on these twins prospects, the grade for the number two prospect, Wander Javier, and the grade for the number eight prospect, Nick Gordon, are essentially the same. And so you see that when you saw our top 100, you have Royce Lewis. Up in the 20s. And then you have this gap, 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 gap. And then all of a sudden you see twins start popping up, and it's like twins and three twins in the 90s, if I remember right. Yep, three within like a seven or eight spot difference. But the other point about that is, is that, and then you have guys who don't make the 100, but they fit right in that same group as well. As we've tried to explain before, the difference between the 25th best prospect in the game and the 50th, I would argue, is more, there's a bigger difference than there is between the 75th prospect in the game and the 140th best prospect in the game. Because it 
it is to go mass out. It, it is a, uh, I, I guess it would be a logarithmic curve. It's something where there's a, at the top, there's a bigger drop off, but then it, it flattens out. And the difference between, if you want to argue Nick Gordon, who's eight on this list, if you like him better than Wander Javier, there's two. Okay, so you like closer to the big leagues, less risk. You're looking for a guy who's going to be probably, a, a, has a good chance to be a solid big leaguer. If you say, you know what, I like Bruce Star Gratterall, I like Wander Javier. Okay, you like more risk. That, all of that makes sense. I mean, to you, I mean, so when we did this for the 100, when we did this for the 10, it was difficult with the Twins because everyone can have a slightly different eye on the beholder. Steven Gonzalez, again, fits into that close to the big leagues, probably not going to be a star, but at the same time has a very clear path to a useful big league career of some sort. And then you have the guys who, like Javier's, like, you know, like Ratterall, who, Fernando Romero even, where you say there's a little more risk there. But there's more upside too, and that's where I think with the Twins, that is one thing to watch. While this is a good system, their number you, when you get your prospect handbook, you'll see the grades and the risk factors. Three of your top five prospects are extreme risks. Your number one prospect is a very high risk because Royce Lewis is everything's there. He's also an 18 year old who's yeah the half yep, season half. on his resume approval. So I think there's a situation with the Twins where you can say, hey, we've got this really good young core that's in the majors. But I would I would pump the brakes a little bit before you say, oh wow, now we've got the second wave coming. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys will fall off. This is not the upper level proven track record position player group that you'll see some other organizations have. I, I think for me. What's intriguing, though, with the Twins is you mentioned, you know, Brett Rooker and Nick Gordon at the spots they're at. You could argue them five, six spots higher and not be wrong. If you said that they're two and three on this list, again, it's just a different way of lining up prospects who are all bunched pretty close together. Uh, I need to credit Mike Berardino, the St. Paul Pioneer Press. He's the one who put this list together. And again, did a great job for us. It it is something where what it comes down to is, is that the gradations between these guys are so fine that there is no, there's not these clear distinctions. There are times where you're looking at a list and the rankings essentially line themselves up because you do the you, you do the reporting, you write up the reports, and when you're done with that, you go, okay, well, clearly this guy's better than this guy, this guy's better than this guy. This is not this is not a team where that's the case. But the other thing that stands out about this is the twins. I think you know you look at them. The state of the franchise are in a really good spot because there it took some time, but they have this young core now of big league, big league talent that is in the young, inexpensive years of their careers. They made the playoffs last year, and they are doing this at a time where you have Cleveland, who's really good, but then you have the Royals are. Ground zero of a rebuild. That team, barring uh, some massive signings between now and opening day, is not going to be very good. The Tigers are essentially ground the town, zero. The Tigers are at ground zero of a rebuild. The first time that they've largely done that, they had a bad year, but they have not torn it down and rebuilt like this in a long time. And then you have the White Sox, who are further along in a rebuild. But still the early but stages. Still are not a team where you say, I expect them to contend in 2018. And you have the Twins, 
who do not have a whole lot of money locked up, you still expect the Twins are going to go out and sign another pitcher. But beyond Especially that, with Urban Santana out now. Right. But beyond that, you look at this farm system right now, which is not, you know, we, I think we have them ranked 12th. But you look at this farm system and you say, if they get to junior, you know, they get to July and they need a pitcher or they need, there's a position they need to fix. They have the weapons, they have the ammunition to make a trade. Without giving up their elite, elite guys. There's still guys, hey, there are, their number five and number eight prospects are still really good prospects a lot of teams would gladly take. Right. Or if they did want to make the blockbuster move. You know, to put it this way, okay, let's look at the moves, the significant, the biggest moves that happened last year. Like, J.D. Martinez traded from them. I mean, from the Tigers. J.D. Martinez traded from the Tigers. Did not get much of a return at all. Take, take, but you Darvish, Darvish, Justin Okay, you Darvish got, basically, it was, you know. The, the, a top 50 prospect and two other farther away kind of upside guy, upside plays. Royce Lewis is better than Willie Calhoun as far as trade value right now. Now, again... We'll see where he is. If he has a good year, you know, at the first half of the season, he's going to even be higher on that. If he has a bad year, well, maybe his trade value slips. But he is a, right now, you could easily get, more, I would say, more in return for him than you can for Willie Calhoun because there's more upside there. Um, again, I think Willie, it dep- depends on what each organization prefers because not all organizations view upside the same way. But. I, but, but I would say, though, generally, again, one is a top 25 prospect, I'd say, and Willie Calhoun is not. But um, and then okay, then you have the Verlander trade. We get Franklin, Franklin Perez, Perez, Jake Rogers, Daz Cameron, and I want one top fifty-ish prospect. Right, Franklin Perez, and then two others who are who are guys absolutely who are who fit very much into the same group where with the Twins guys, let's say who didn't make the back of the top hundred, but fits very much in that group. But yes, they could do that trade again. They could easily do that trade, and. Now, this will be an interesting thing to see. Well, this is going to be a fascinating year for the Twins because Royce Lewis, we talked about resumes. Royce Lewis is going to go to low A, probably start the season. He has a good first half of the season, though, having already had time in low A. He'll be in the Florida State League. Right. Wander Javier, it's time for him to go to low A. Alex Kirilov, who missed all of last year, it's time for him to go to low A. Brewstar Gratterall. Now, you may hold him back a little bit, let it warm up, but it's time to go to low A. All of these guys are guys who, if we're talking in July, now their value could go down, too. I'm not saying it can't. But if Alex Kirloff goes out as one, of the better hitters, as one of the better hitters in the Midwest League in the first half of the season, he's more valuable than he is today. If Wander Javier goes out and just does what he did in the Appy League in the Midwest League, He's a better prospect than he is today. Same with Gratterall. These are guys who, they are young enough in their careers that a good first half can bump up their trade value, you know, or their value, because again, they don't have, you know, they have traded all of them, but they can bump up their value in a way that they're, they're, they're volatile prospects, because also a bad first half could do the other way. But they're volatile prospects. But Wander Javier could be, we're talking about Royce Lewis, but Wander Javier for a good first half could easily be a cornerstone guy to get a top guy because he has that potential. That's what I, it's a long-winded way of saying, but there's they have options. Yes, they have exactly. a lot of options. So I want to start getting into these prospects. We talked about Royce Lewis a little bit. 
we hit on Wander Javier. Look, this is a guy, again, not an out-of-nowhere guy. Twins uh, spent $4 million on him internationally a few years back. He was one of the top 10 in the class. Went out and hit in the DSL, hit in the out big last year. It's interesting because the Twins have this, you know, they have their long-term solution in center field, Byron Buxton, as long as he continues to take forward the offense he showed last year. Jorge Polanco's at shortstop, and he's a nice player, but I think the ultimate hope is Royce Lewis, who most evaluators still see as a future center fielder. The Twins are hoping he can play short, and, and believe he can, but it's going to take some time to really mm-hmm. solidify that. It's interesting to me to see, you know, the future dynamic of Javier, Lewis, Buxton. And again, the, the hard truth is, and we've seen this over and over, odds are one of Lewis and Javier probably won't work out. You take two really talented middle infielders in rookie ball, or close to it, one of them will work out and one of them probably won't. At the same time, these are very talented players, and if they both work out, no one should be shocked. So it, well, I the other thing I would say is, is that, and it's also extremely likely that one of them, if even if they do work out, one of them doesn't stick. Because and, that's, and right now, the sense is Javier, if one of them does stick, it would be Javier. So I wanted to kind to, of... To give an example of that, go to a Twins example. I remember watching the Elizabethan Twins, I guess it would have been 2011 maybe, and I was watching two shortstops for them, who were both well-regarded shortstops. One was Nico Goodrum, who ended up, you know, it ended up being more of a useful minor leaguer, but, you know, did not end up having a... It's not had a significant big league career. And the other was Miguel Sano. Now, Sano was 235 pounds at the time, so we may have known that there was a decent chance that he was going to move off the position. But, yeah, exactly. Like, they ended up, they ended up having two guys. Now, Sano was every bit as prominent as any of these guys. But, you know, but yes, you, you didn't get two shortstops out of that. Yeah. So it would be interesting to me to see that future dynamic, but I do feel like the, think the sense is if one of them does stick, it would be Javier. But right. we'll see what happens. Alex Kirilov is fascinating to me. This is a guy a lot of teams liked. Uh, if the Twins didn't take him at 16, he was going to go shortly after. Skipped uh, skip the, the GCL, was the MVP of the Appalachian mm-hmm. League as soon as he gets drafted, and then he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Tommy John surgery for a position player. What's, what are you looking for out of him this coming season? I, I just expect him to rake in the, you know, in the Midwest League. Again, when you talk about if I was picking teams I want to go see, Cedar I made Rapids. a trip. I made a trip to Cedar Rapids, uh, 2013, and it was glorious. And I saw Buxton versus a really loaded uh, Cubs team, where it was uh, Almora and uh, Vogelbach and all those guys. And then saw them against Quad Cities and Correa and Rio Ruiz and Lance McCullers. This this Cedar Rapids team, when you talk, but I expect. Kirloff should be the best hitter of that Cedar Rapids group. That's 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 what his calling card is. Um, again, very loaded Cedar Rapids team, but I would expect him to go out and rake because the guy is a really advanced hitter. He showed that in his first season in pro ball. Sure, there might be a little bit of rust, but usually TJ for a hitter is not exactly a uh, I doesn't. Well, I always caution with TJ with the pitcher, like you can't just say, oh, he's going to be fine. TJ with a hitter, generally you can say, oh, he's going to be fine. It'll take some time, and it's interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, we look at, like, for example, Gleyber Torres' TJ, it's on his lead hand. That's Kirilov, a Kir- The lead hand, which is a different Which is also unusual. Right. Kirilov, it's his throwing elbow, and he's a left-left guy, so it'll be interesting to see how it affects his ability to kind of fire it. But, yeah, I, but I'm, almost, I'm less concerned with that than I am a guy who's TJ on his lead hand. Agreed. Completely agree. So we have three position players going to low A. 
What's interesting to me, because look, the Twins, we're talking about a team that has all this talent, you know, in the low minors, but this is not a team at the big league level that's years away from competing. We talked about they reached the wild card game last year. That position core is still in place. But if they're going to continue to contend for wild cards and eventually chase down the Indians, they're going to need homegrown pitching. And, and you can see our homegrown series we did. The Twins' record of homegrown pitching really post, you know, the Brad Radke era. I mean, you can like the mm-hmm. Nick Blackburn, Kevin Slowey era if you like, but for the most part, it's abysmal. The Twins have had fantastic success international scouting. They've done a really nice job with their position players, but their homegrown pitching staff, I mean, just to fill out a rotation of modern-day players, you have to plug in Liam Hendricks and uh, you have to plug, you know, guys, and Brian Dunsing, who don't even start anymore. No, they, There's no other options. So for me, for the Twins to become this perennial contender as they were in the early 2000s, they have to develop pitching. And that's where this next group really intrigues me, Steven Gonzalez and Brewster Gratterall. You know, or actually, Steven Gonzalez and, and well, we'll get to Gratterall's set, but, but Fernando, Fernando Romero's Romero, right Those there. are guys who are close to the big leagues. Fernan- well, Gonzalez and Romero both completed double-A last year with some success. Gonzalez got to triple-A. It's five starts. Didn't go well, but it's five starts. Romero's not there yet. But for me, you know, Steven Gonzalez and Fernando Romero, look, these are not going to be the guys that are the saviors of the Twins' pitching struggles. But if they can even be just contributors, if Steven Gonsalves lives up to that fourth, fifth starter, reliable, eat some innings, do okay for you, and Fernando Romero comes out and again, you know, he's not, he's, you know, it's it's less than a strikeout an inning. It's not massive, massive, you know, he's going to win a strikeout title. But if he can just plug into a rotation spot for you and give you respectable performance as he's done his whole career, that will go a long way towards making the Twins a more perennial playoff contender as opposed to a, oh, hey, they won you know this one, one season, but then the pitching fell apart. I'm going to go on a limb. Gonsalves, to me, strikes me as a prospect that you would be very, you know, like he, he checks some of your boxes. For I, one, I, he's I, from San Diego, which is a— Yes, Cathedral Catholic guy. For two, guy. He is, he's consistently been a guy, you know, I'm more Velo-based than you. The, the knock on Gonsalves, who has generally been— that he pitches with a fastball that plays better than the radar gun. So I, th- I think for me, you know, we talk about you're more velocity-based than I am, but that's, for me, there's still kind of a limit of, you know, twos and threes. You're more of the fives and sixes. To me, twos and threes are fine. I'm okay with that. He's at 89.91, which is still a little light for me. But the other thing I think that's a little concerning is he's never pitched more than, uh, well, he did have a, 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 a nice uh, amount of innings last year, but... There's been some injuries over the course of his over the course of his career. Um, I think there's also been you know he's had shoulder issues, which you know is always a red flag. So I think for me, I, I think Stephen Gonsalves is a guy. Sure, is there are there things to like? Can you see a good path? Yes, but I compare him to like another you know lefty a lefty who we have the same grade on our handbook, Joey Lucchese. I'll take Joey Lucchese 85 times out of – or 100 times out of 100 times here because there's more stuff. There's – you know, the stuff's a little more consistent. There's even more funk. So I feel like Gonsalves is a guy that – if I'm a Twins fan, I'm hopeful. And, and to, frankly, you need him. You have to have him. But I'm not going to sit here and say with any certainty Steven Gonsalves will be a solid average major league pitcher for a decade because I think there's enough concerning things there – I'd also, you know, get small sample size, but he's a guy that has to be so precise 
with his command <coughs> that if it's not 100%, there's so little room for error. And again, I'd feel differently if he was 92, 93, but 89, 91 is a, a completely different world. Uh, and now the interesting thing also is going to be, you know, just is again, we do not know what the Twins rotation is going to be yet because everyone feels quite confident there's another move, at least one, to be made. And so, um, but no, I, I, the thing with Gonsalves, though, is, is that it's interesting. Gonsalves, I feel more confident about Gonsalves ending up in the rotation than Romero. And partly that's because I think that Romero, he just kind of has the, the stuff that you kind of, nowadays you turn around, and this is valuable nowadays, but nowadays you turn around, it's like, oh, he's blowing 98, 99 out of the pen. Because Fernando Romero could do that. And, you know, that's something where, you know, he, he obviously sits lower than that when he's starting. But if well, they need him... I think another him, concern is the split. Lefties have crushed him. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is a, is a, is a And so, flag. again, that fits with that same thing, which is it's that he is going to... When you just look at from a practical standpoint of where they are, there's probably going to be a point in 2018 when they could use help in the pen... And, again, maybe they have a spot star come up, too, but they could use help in the pen. And the question is going to be asked, can, can Romero fill this role? And the answer is probably going to be, oh, yeah, he can. And we do see plenty of times guys come up in the bullpen at first. They eventually transition to starting. So it's not like if he comes up and his first call-up is as a reliever, that means he's definitively a reliever the rest of his life. But there's no question. I think with him there's always been a sense of, hey, you know, he might end up being a guy in part because lefties see him really, really well. And look, he's a Tommy John guy, although he did hold up over 125 mm-hmm. innings last year, where you might say, yeah, the bullpen could be his ultimate ultimate end game. But to me, you know, if I'm the Twins, obviously you want to see Lewis and Javier and Karoloff all do well. But in terms of if I'm a Twins fan and I... I Needing one of those guys you, to develop. You know, now. It needs to happen, you know, this year. If both of them are, are scuffling in Rochester... You're looking at crud. We might be another three years away before we have another pitching prospect because then you're looking at Brewster Gratterall and Blaine Enloe. Well, who, no, I don't. I, you have but, to throw Felix Jorge in there too. Felix Jorge is. A, I, I'm talking about a guy that. Yes, Felix Jorge is absolutely a nice pitcher. I think he's he did a really good job at Chattanooga last year. He got a he got a spot start last year. Two well two starts last year, but not good. Not good starts. He, Not, he doesn't want. And again, only three starts in Rochester. I mean, I think it's important to note that Felix Jorge, for all his strengths, is ranked below all these other pitchers in the rankings. This, you know, if you look at okay, who's the guy that the Twins feel like we feel like is the guy that could be best for us? Jorge, even though Jorge got the spot start in the call up last year ahead of Romero. Long term, there's still sense that Gonzalez or Romero are the better guys they want to rely on. Yeah, I mean, now the guy to me. Uh, Blaine Enloe, not you know, who's nine on this list, is a guy to watch because, again, we talk about this loaded Cedar Rapids team. Blaine Enloe is a dude. Uh, you know, there's there is no doubt about that. Now, he has a long way to go. Third round pick, but first round money, two yes. million. And it's all plenty of upside, plenty of upside. And so, I'm very interested to see what he does. The thing that just stands out, I mean, the other thing that stands out about this is, is that this is a team got real creative. They wanted, if we were talking about, if they had won the Otani sweepstakes, we'd be talking about them in a different light right now because they would, they would already have their pitcher and they would have had him at a bargain rate. 
It would, they would have maybe been able to go out and do that and then still do something else. But without that, they were able to turn around and take that money that they had squirreled away for Otani. And Junior Severino, one of the Braves guys who was cut loose because of the, uh, the rules violations, very nice addition, you know, to, to, to join this team and give them some depth. And know, they did went, the same things with Jacob Pearson, a nice prospect for the Angels, and David Benuelos, a nice prospect for the Mariners. Right. They turned around and they turned it into depth, which, hey, all three of those guys are guys where you say, there's a chance they turn out, there's a chance they don't. They're a long ways away. Benuelos is really good defensively, maybe he won't hit. You know, Pearson, Pearson's got, Pearson has an uphill battle to be an everyday regular. And then Severino's far enough away. You like the bat. There's things to like. But at the same time, there's a lot of off-ramps to a yeah. big league career before they get there. That being said, those are three extra chances at it. And that didn't really cost them. That's You, you like when you see moves like that. You know, you, you'll, you just like. I kind of like even, you know, like, okay, Zach Littell is just a hey, we'll, we'll add some, again, some so I'm big glad, league depth. I'm glad you brought him up because uh, my, my next question here as we get close to wrapping up, you know, we've talked about that two through eight group and then MO at nine is, is a high upside guy. The guys beyond the top ten to me, really Zach Littell's the guy because that to me is a guy who has never not only, like, just been good, he's never not dominated. Every, you know, his first year, Clinton pro ball was good, not great. Since then, 2016, Clinton, crazy good. Bakersfield and the Cal League. And Bakersfield was a hitter's park, by the way. Not and even in the context of the Cal League, it was one of the most hitter friendly parks. 8-1-2-5-1. Goes up this year, dominates the Florida State League, which is obviously much more pitcher friendly. And then goes up to double A and does everything he needs to and more. And by the way, the dude was 21 the whole season and crushed it in double A. And it'd be one thing again, you know, we've seen velocity tick up. He's gotten a little bigger. He's 91 to 93 with a high spin rate. If it starts becoming more 93s than 91s, yes, I think this is absolutely the real deal. Now, if he settles back, and there was a time where it was a lot more 89 to 91, touch of two, but if he can continue just, because again, he's still young, he has gotten bigger, he's still getting bigger, getting stronger. If all of a sudden he can hold that 93 with, with everything else he does for you, with everything he's shown he can do, that's a heck of a pitcher. You know, and again, I would, I'm... I'm a little skeptical, as I often am, with, you know, again, guys who there is, it's a, it's a fine line for him. You know, right, again. And, and again, you know, look, the curve ball, his curveball could be a plus pitch. His changeup draws swings and misses, a lot of ground balls, throws a lot of strikes. But you're right, if the fastball sells it at 90, it's going to be a tough road. And that's where, for me, it's, it's got to start deaf. sitting at But again, 93. the thing I love about it is, is that he's another guy who, could he end up helping him at the big league level this year? It's, it's definitely within the range of possibilities. I like the fact that I can list off four guys who will probably not start the season in their rotation. This is, to put it this way, this is the Mariners' dream. The Mariners have been searching, trading guy after guy after guy to have guys in AAA who you need to start. You Although, in fairness, to. they had a bunch of guys who yes. traded him. Zach Littell is one of them. Ryan Yarborough. Right, they, but they keep... But what I'm saying is is the Twins very possibly will f- begin the season with a AAA rotation that has, say, four guys who all have a possibility 
of pitching starting in the big league this year. That is possible. That's a good, that is something. Now, again, I will say, if all four of those guys end up starting the big leagues for the Twins, that's probably a bad sign. But it is still, it, it is, I like that kind of depth because then if one of those guys does make a step forward, then you're, you know, you're something really significant about that. Absolutely. You know, before we wrap up here, one guy who made his major league debut last year uh, has performed, done a lot of things a lot of people like, is Zach Granite. Mm-hmm. Got his first extended major league uh, experience last year. You know, it wasn't great. Hit 237, 321 on base. Again, it was 93 at bats. It's not an enormous sample size. I feel like there's a little bit of a divisiveness here. There's people out there who have seen Zach Granite and say, hey, I think this guy could be an everyday top of the order, or if nothing else, number nine hitter, you know, playing center field, stealing bases. Others have said, I see him as a fifth outfielder at best, not convinced on his ultimate ability to hit. What's your overall sense? Because he did hit in the minors, but again, it's there's not really any power there, and so it's and even as you know, walk to strikeout, it's good, but it's like he draws an enormous amount of walks. It's 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 just it's, him. he's a fine line guy. I mean, now again, it really comes down to the tough thing is this: I don't think he's a good fit in Minnesota, and the reason I say that is is that to me his value, if you want to pap, if you want to. If you're saying, he, if you like him as someone more than a fourth, fifth outfielder, well, then what he needs to provide for you partly is defensive value, okay? He's not as good defensively as the guy they have in center. Very few are. Very, very few are. So the problem with that is, is that the Twins are not a team who needs a defensive whiz, barring injury. And then which, which has again, up, is but, something to keep in mind. But with barring injury... They don't need a guy on the bench who comes in and plays the seventh, eighth, and ninth because your center fielder slides over to a corner, you know, because he's not as good defensively. I mean, some of it could be if Eddie Rosario can't stay consistent and they say, hey, we need to make, you know, an adjustment playing time here wise. But you're right. I think it's tough to see with the Twins a path for that. That doesn't Zach mean Granite. he doesn't have value somewhere else. But again, it's harder to, for me to see it with them, you know, again, just because it's like, okay. What his value provides somewhat duplicates the value that they have in their center fielder. No question about it. Well, look, I think all things considered, you look at the Twins and you say, hey, there's a young core in the big leagues. They got into the postseason last year. They are in position to do so again this year, especially given the weakness of their division. And there's a really solid prospect group with some high upside guys. There's depth. I mean, some of those guys we talked about are ranked in the 20s, and there's there's a good players. So, I, I think overall, you know, the Twins are, are in a very good place, much better than they were as recently oh. as three, four years ago. It's it's a it's definitely a good spot. So we'll and, see if they can keep it going forward. And we do want to thank you to our followers for tuning in today. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Visit baseballism.com to get the best apparel in baseball. And you're the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, to save 20%. For JJ and Kyle, sorry I did that backwards, but I'm JJ, you're Kyle. So long, everybody. Have, have a good one.